So it's Father's Day. Hope you got your bacon. Because, I mean, I, I, that's what it's all about, right? So I thought, hey, it's Father's Day. I should show up in, like, my cargo shorts, my Astro shirt, my floppy dad hat up here on stage. And I was like, I don't know how the elders would feel about that. So I come with just the dad bod um, before you. That's all I can give you. We're going to be going into Psalm 51. It's our second part going through this um, today, and it's, it's Father's Day. So why not go through a, a chapter written by what is arguably one of the greatest leaders on the face of this earth, right? Arguably. He was called, you know, we all know who you're talking about, right? Who we're talking about? It was, it was David, right? Actually, I have a great photo uh, to represent David in most of the Psalms. Um, and so this is our great lead, the greatest leader to ever walk the face of this earth practically, you know. So just, I thought we would start out a little bit, just be serious, because we're going to get a little bit serious this morning. I'm just going to preface that. This is a very touchy-filly passage. We're, used, uh, we're here, we do a lot of exegesis. We go you know, uh, verse by verse, line by line, sometimes word by word here at C3. That's what we're used to. Um, And I felt with this passage, it's a little bit touchy-feely, all right? And I could really get stuck in the weeds going verse by verse, word by word with this and have a lot of fun with it. I just don't think it'd be fun for you. Uh, And it would be as convicting as, and what it should be. So we're gonna talk about David. Why? He fulfills what we would say that kind of the stereotype of a man, right? Like, what do we have as our stereotypical man, right? Like, bare-knuckle fighting, you know, and huge biceps, and uh, he probably drives a tank, right? Like, this notion that society has created us of what a man is. Like, don't show your feelings. Suppress it. Act like you got it all together, right? Like, this is what being a man is. Just shut your mouth and do, and do it, like, you know, chin up, buttercup, right? But we're going to look at David, who was very much that, but then also very much this behind me. And so what was he? Uh, David was a bear and a lion killer, right? He killed bears and he killed lions with his hands, his bear hands. There was a dad joke in there somewhere, right? Okay, he was a warrior chieftain, a mercenary, an outlaw, and extremely an overachiever. Ask me the story later about how he overachieved. We've got kids in the service. We're not going to talk about it right now. At the age of 16, when we're learning how to drive, he was driving giants to the ground. College age, when we're doing college things, he is running away and hiding in caves away from a demented king who's out to seek, not even revenge, just wants to destroy David. For no legitimate reason. He's considered the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of Israel. He is the most, at this time where we are, he is the most powerful man on the earth of the known world. That is who we're talking about today. That is the frame of reference. And then you're like, okay, good to know. He's a man after God's own heart. Wait, so you tell me someone who was a mercenary, he also ends up being an adulterer, 
He ends up being a liar, a murderer. He's all those things, and he's still a man after God's own heart. That doesn't compute. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of things in our Bible that when we read it, it's like, wait, God came down on this earth and died for us? Like, that doesn't compute. Like, he died for me? Like, the perfect being came, the one who created us came down here to die for me? That doesn't compute. There's a lot of things that don't compute, but it's beautiful. So we have a man who has done all these pretty atrocious things, and we are still calling him a man after God's own heart. And today, before we could do any service, it would be a disservice of me to not go over what happens before Psalm 51, okay? We need to know what happened. And here's the cool thing about Psalm 51 is it's one of the few Psalms that we do have where we know what happened. We know why it's being written, right? Other was like, man, this guy's having a bad day. Good thing he found God at the end of it, right? But here we have Psalm 51 where we see a man crying out to the Lord. So before we can know why is David the most powerful man in the known world crying out to the Lord, let's see why and what happens, okay? Here we're going to go into 2 Samuel, okay? And I'm just going to do a really brief recap here. I might have a few preaching points on there because that's what I'm here to do, right? So you have 2 Samuel and we're in chapter 11 and 12. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. We are kind of familiar with it, right? A little bit. If you aren't, I'm about to fill you in. David has decided instead of going out into springtime, you know, wintertime, then this time, in the wintertime, all the countries, all the tribes, everything, they wouldn't be fighting. There's no war. They take a chill pill, whatever. Then springtime rolls around. They're like, smell the daisies. <laughs> Smells like war, right? They're like, it's time to go. But David's like, I'm going to sit here and just keep sniffing the daisies. Y'all go do it. This is like the first time he's ever done it. And he's out there. He's on his roof. He's chilling. And he sees a Bathsheba taking a bath. And there's another dad joke in there. I'm just going to refrain because her name is Bathsheba. Um, I'm glad I got the dad chuckle. Thank you. Um, he sees her bathing. He says to his, his, his servants, like, who is that? Right? And they're like, well, that's Bathsheba. That's, that is the wife of Uriah. Uriah, just so y'all know, whenever, back when David was like, cha-cha-cha, mercenary action, Uriah was one of his right-hand men. He was one of the original, the OGs that was with David. He knows him. Um, and even this, even knowing, oh, that's Uriah, like the dude that's on the front line of battle right now fighting a war for me. And also was there with me in the beginning when I was a mercenary and I was running from Saul who was trying to kill me, that your, that, the wife of that guy? Okay, servants, bring her to me. He asked for her to come. He then lays with her. Then, after that, who knows how long goes by. A lot of us here have kids. We know how long it takes to find out. Um, Bathsheba sins and says, hey, I'm pregs. I'm pretty sure that's the exact words that she used to. Um, and so David's instantly like, oh, wow, okay. What does he do? He doesn't go to, oh, man, I've messed up. I need to confess this. I need to do this. He instantly, he pulls an Adam and an Eve, right? 
They try to cover up their sin. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't me, it was the, the serpent. He instantly says, I need to send for Uriah. Get Uriah here. Because if I can get Uriah here, I can get him and go, hey man, you've been fighting so hard in this battle. Go hang out with your wife. Do marital things, you know. And then, you know, take a break and then go back, right? It'll be cool. Uriah comes he, and David tries to do that. Uriah's like, no, no. Like Uriah is a, he's a solid dude. He's like, he's honorable. Like my men are fighting on the back. They're sleeping in the dirt. They got they don't have, have gunpowder then. I got brass in my eye. Whatever. And they're there. And he's like, I can't go home and be with my wife while my men are battling. No. So he sleeps in the slave quarters of David's, David's house, temple, kingdom. Not a temple. Kingdom. You know, wherever David sleeps. He sleeps there. David's like, why haven't you gone? So David then goes one step further to try to cover up his sin. He says, I'm going to get him, I'm going to give him ample amounts of uh, fermented beverages. We have kids here, I'm trying to use other words. Fermented beverages, you know, to do it. And he does. And that only makes him more honorable. Like, he's like, it's like that best friend that in college you would do to me college things. And they're like, man, I love you. You know, and so that's Uriah. Instead of going home to be with his wife, he's like, nah, man, you're my dog. I'm staying here. Like, I can't do that. I can't do that to my homies on the battlefield. So David's like, okay, plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. Okay, plan C. Yeah, I got to kill him. Right? So he sends Uriah back with a note to hand to the head guy. Basically, the note saying, here's the deal. You're going to take your eye, you're going to put him on the front battles, and you're going to call everyone back but your eye, and he's going to die, and that's going to be that. And that's what happens. They send your eye to the front, he dies. David's like, oh no, my best friend died. That was an outward appearance, right? That was an outward appearance thing. Um, and there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a theme here, you see, is there's this outward appearance that David's putting on. And it leads so much so that he is covering up his sins so much so to where, oh, Bathsheba, you're done mourning. You know what? You don't have a husband to take care of you anymore. I will take you in. I will be your husband. I will take care of you. Right? So everyone around who doesn't know the secret sin, now David looks like a great king. He has taken in this widow. Do you see how deceptive that is? You're telling me this is the man who's after God's own heart, who's continually trying to cover up his sin. So now he's trying to make himself look like he's this honorable man, and now they're going to have a kid, right? This is when we get to the part that we all really need to hear is starting in chapter 12, we have a man named Nathan. Nathan's a prophet, he's a priest. Um, and he is called by God to go and talk to David about his sin. The sin that no one knows. But God has given that to Nathan to go to him. And I can only imagine what 
it's like to be Nathan. Like, you, we have the story of Jonah, right? Where God is like, hey, you need to go here. And he's like, uh-uh. He's like, no, go here. Uh-uh. And then, oh. You have Nathan, who's like, the Lord's like, hey, okay, so you know David, right? Like, your king, the king of Israel. Like, the most powerful man. Yeah, God, I, I, I know. Yeah, him. Yeah, cool. Know him. Yeah, I need you to, go. he sinned, he committed adultery, and then he murdered his best friend. Um, I need you to go confront him on that. Uh, come again, God? Yeah, I need you to go talk to him about that. So me, you want me to go to the kingdom? You want me to tell him, mm, okay, I think I'm gonna need to pray on that. Well, you would pray to me, Nathan, so I'm telling you, you need to go do that. So you have Nathan who then has to go to David and confront him on his sin. Yeesh. And he does. And this, this is what we need in our lives, right? Just recently, we were at community group, and uh, there's been an area of my life that I was completely oblivious to of the way I was treating or doing things. Completely oblivious. Because I, I have a strong personality sometimes, as many of you know, and I can come off wrong, and I don't mean to, and I don't want to. Um, and, and they just straight up are like, yeah, you're being like this. I'm like, what? I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yes. I'm like, well, dang. <laughs> I had no clue. They're like, and they were like scared. Like, after they told me, like, their spouse like called me, the other day, hey, dude, are you cool? Like, yeah, like, if anything, I respect you so much more now. They're like, wait, really? Like, you're not mad that we, like, confront you on that? I'm like, no, that's what I need. My goal is not to appease people. My, God is, my goal is to appease the Lord. Our goal is to appease the Lord, not people. And if we're not being a reflection of his righteousness and his goodness, then we need to be a Nathan to our friends. Do you have a Nathan in your life, right? At C3, we have community groups, right? And that is kind of our system. That's our way of organically cultivating this type of relationship. If you're meeting weekly with the men and the women uh, that you do life with, you can have conversations that happen like that, and it can go well. It could be super awkward, kind of like Nathan, who's about to go to David and tell the most powerful man in the world that, yeah, you done wrong, but do you have a Nathan? Are you a Nathan to someone? And we're going to see what happens. We're going to see how David responds. And then we're going we're to see like, oh, okay. Maybe he is a man after God's own heart. Seeing the way David res responds. And I have here just to help us out. Like how do we, how do we confront someone about their sin? How do we do it well? And uh, we have that. It's Hebrews 10, uh, 22 through 25. I think should have it up here on the screen for you pretty soon. Let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as if the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Come with a, a clean heart. Remove the log from your own eye before you're confronting them. 
let's urge you one another on in community. That is why community groups are such a core of who we are here. Why it's so important so that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds and do it with a clean heart, not maliciousness or just pointing out sin just to make them feel horrible. So here we have Nathan comes in and he's in public and he uses a parable. He uses this parable, he tells this story about a man with, who has this one sheep Right, this one sheep, it's this servant, he has this one sheep, and then there's another ruler who has hundreds of sheep, but he has this affluent person coming to visit, and he goes to the servant and takes that one sheep and slaughters it for that person coming to visit. Nathan uses, and David gets outraged over this. He is like straight up like channeling his inner mercenary days, just it was probably way worse than that. I'm not very, I'm not that kind of type. But his outreach, like, that guy deserves to be dead and killed. Who is he? Bring him here. And Nathan's like, it's you. If someone did that to me, the most powerful man in the world, and confronts me of my sin that no one knows about, about how I'm an adulterer and I'm a mutter, a mutter, a murderer, Right? In front of all these sub subjects, I mean, what would your response? Be honest with yourself. What would your response be? All right, off of this guy's head. He's clearly delusional, right? Like he says he's a priest, right? But we don't see that. We see David, and this is his response in Second Samuel twelve thirteen says, "I have sinned." against the Lord I've sinned against the Lord he covered up his sin he was pretty much in denial of it being that bad he probably even convinced himself like hey no I'm doing a good thing here you know I'm taking her in now like I've, I've made up for it and wrong right you can't do a bunch of good things to make up for your sin that's not how it works Here's David kind of trying to make that happen. I, uh, I recently had to deal with a, a very similar thing. And here's the really pathetic thing. It's like I'm very pathetic. Is if I wasn't preparing for this sermon and had my just listening and reading these verses and preparing my heart for this, I don't know if I would have come to the conclusion I came to. Is for those that know, I, I fix dents for a living. I make metal flat. There was recently a hailstorm in Houston. Guess what I've been fixing a lot of, <laughs> right? These hail cars, they've got hundreds and hundreds of dents. One of, my, one of the places I service, they got like 40 to 50 cars with anywhere from 500 to 1,000 dents in them. I'm stressed, all right? I'm currently on week eight of 80-hour work weeks. I'm going nonstop. Um, I had so much work that I had to have a friend who lives in Colorado. They haven't got a hailstorm yet. And he lives in Denver. I said, hey, dude, come down and help me out. He's like, cool, I'll come for like a month and help you out. Sweet. He gets there. Now, he's from Colorado. He sees me stressed. I'm in denial of my stress. I'm like, I am not stressed. 
He's like, bro, you're stressed. Now, he's agnostic. He's not a believer. He and I have great conversations. And he's like, hey, you're stressed. And I'm cleared it out. No, I'm stressed. I got it together. I can handle this. I'm doing great. Mm-mm. I'm in complete denial of my, I, w- I would say sin. I'm not, I'm trying to rely on myself. You know, I'm trying to, I'm not frogging it. You know, y'all know what frog is? We can't go to Lifeway to buy them anymore. They used to have like the little cheesy things. There was like, there was WWJD and then there was frog. You need to fully rely on God. That's right. Every once in a while, I'll jokingly tell Rob, I'm like, hey, are you frogging it? She's like, don't you, don't you dare. <laughs> I wasn't fully relying on God. And it took a man from Colorado saying I needed a certain, some help in his own Colorado way. And I was like, no, thank you. Um, I don't agree with that. I can, and I hated the fact that it took my friend from Colorado to notice how stressed I was, try to get me to do something that is not okay in Texas right here. And it's not okay, it's illegal. Um, And so I was like, no, 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 thank you. Like, and then I'm like, wow, I, I am, I'm so stressed that my friend is telling me I need to do something about it in ways that I would never do. And it was that reminder. He, in, that, in that time and instance, he was a Nathan. He was doing it jokingly, but he was a Nathan. And I went home that night, and I was like, God, I'm, I'm in clear denial here of how stressed I am. And there's only one way to overcome it. So call my friend from Colorado, no, I'm just joking, is to come to you, right? Is to come to you. You are the only one who can take this from me, right? Only you, Lord, can take this stress and give me peace. And he said, and the next day I, I, I wake up and I can't explain it, guys. You can't explain a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I come back the next day, and he's like, dude, you're doing better. I go, yeah, man. Like, I, you really, like, woke me up, and I, need, I, I just really needed to pray a lot about it, and I needed to give it over to the Lord. And he's like, cool, dude, whatever works for you, man. I'm like, thanks, Mike. Um, and it did, and it does, and I'm inviting y'all to that. And that's not just, that's a silly little sin. Some of us, we've got a lot of issues, we all have our sin areas. If you're like, you know, really, I don't really struggle that much with sin. Well, congratulations, you now have pride. Um, right? So let's take that to the Lord. And sometimes we're oblivious to it, and that's when we, ha- we need a Nathan. And th- sometimes that's when we need a leveling and use Hebrews 10, 22 to spur each other on love and good deeds. So here we have this. This is what happens. We are now finally at Psalm 51. They're like, golly, it took them long enough. Yes, I'm sorry but I felt it'd be doing a huge disservice not to know this backstory of what David has done. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. So here's the great thing about Psalm 51 is when we do sin, because we do, and we do it often, and then even these big, huge sins, or just small sins, when we are sitting against a holy and just God, When we sin against a holy and just God, we need to confess it. Even the small ones. Small ones. I need some water. 
I don't know why I'm telling you that. And this is how he starts out. First he says, I have sinned. And this, Psalm 51, is the response to him being Nathaned, to being called out, to being saying like, you have sinned. And he doesn't say off with your head. He doesn't say, be gone. You're crazy. He says, you're right. He stops denying it. He accepts it. And he moves to this. He moves to verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. I am the most powerful man in the world. No one can touch me. But you can, God. You can. And the only one who can help me is you, God. And I need you to give me mercy. He reminds them, God, he reminds, David reminds uh, God right now of Exodus 34, it's six through seven, of his steadfast love and his mercy, of how he had that for his people. God, I need you to give that to me. I need that. I need that bad. Have mercy on me. And what is, what is mercy, right? David knew the scriptures. He knows, he, can, he knows who God is. Why? Because he knew the scriptures, he knew how God had been in the past, how he had treated the people in the wilderness, right? His ancestors and how he had done these things. He knew that and he reminds God of that. Have mercy on my God. And what is mercy? Why is David even asking for it? And here's a, a little bit of a, a definition for us. Like mercy at its most basic level is not being given what we do deserve. We're We're given something we don't. Is that we, ugh. mercy at its most basic level is not being given what we do deserve. Not being given. It's where grace is being given what we don't deserve. He asked for mercy because according to Levitical law, David has just broke two Levitical laws that completely justify him to be killed. Punishable by death. Adultery and murder. He doesn't do, he says, God, have mercy on me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Before, he knows that before I can go to a holy and just God, I need to be cleansed. I need to ask for that forgiveness. Before we go to God, this is where Psalm 51, where we can start um, using it as kind of a framework for when we repent. We must confess and own up to our sins as our own. All right? Stop denying them. Okay? Stop denying it. If someone confronts you about it, maybe if you don't agree with them, hear them out. Because hopefully you're doing community with people that want it to love you well. Moving on to, I, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He knows that it is not society, it is not culture that sets our moral cold. It is a holy, just, mercy, merciful, and forgiving God. He's perfect. He knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future, he knows everything. That is who sets our moral code. 
It doesn't develop over millennia and millennia, as some scientists say. Our moral code comes from God. He knows that. He's very keenly aware. We cannot allow culture to dictate our moral code. We have a lot of that happening right now where culture wants to say, no, this is wrong and this is right. I'm sorry, but this is a holy, just, and perfect God who says this is, this is what we're to uphold. And that's what I have to go to, even if it means the culture isn't gonna like me for it, right? And that's hard, that's hard, especially for people pleasers. I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'll probably be a recovering people pleaser for the rest of my life, and I want to people please. I want to appease the culture sometimes. But that is not what we're here. We are here to yearn after God's own heart as David did. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Some of us have this notion that we're not born sinners. I'm just gonna tell you right now, I have a, my oldest son who's five now. When he was one, I walk in to the room and he's at the, at his little, he had a little table and he had a bunch of little crackers and they were everywhere. And he's just like, I go, Kevin Tansy. And he instantly points to the dog and goes, and I'm like, no, you just did not blame shift the dog. At one, no one taught him that, right? That's, That's what David's saying here. But does that give us an excuse to continue to sin? Well, I was born a sinner, so, you know, it is what it is. I'm just going to keep on doing it. No! Right? Like, what are you, one? <laughs> let's work towards that. Let's, let's, do we, like I said, do we have a Nathan? Are we willing to accept our sin? Are we willing to turn from it? And here we have Psalm 51 as a great framework for us. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God wants us to be honest with him. You think God doesn't know, like, oh, God, I, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of, maybe I'm feeling this way. Like, no, he knows. Like, why do we pretend that God doesn't know your heart? Right? Why do we constantly pretend that? I do it. I do it so much. As if God doesn't already know. He knows the number of hairs on my head. And here I am trying to pretend that God doesn't know the, the sickness in my heart. And so when you get to Proverbs 28, 13, 14, it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Right? Mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Are you being honest with God about yourself and your confession? Or are you still in denial? We all kind of have that one sin area that we struggle with. Can I just be honest with you guys? Really candid, I struggle very much with anger. I can be very quick to anger. And that's my burden to bear. And I've grown in tremendous ways, but I... Growing up in my life and, and the things that I've done, uh, the things that were kind of portrayed of how you deal with your anger were not healthy. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, whatever. I grew up in a very, um, in, a, in a different kind of home where anger was dealt with in a very unhealthy way. And I'm having to overcome, take that to the Lord. That's my sin. That's what I struggle with. Some of us have other sin struggles. Let's not be in denial about it. Okay? 
Because here, here's a beautiful thing. Is I'm, I'm running a little bit long because that's what I did the last time and that seems to be par for the course. Is, there's a great quote from R.C. Sproul. It says, the only way to cure guilt is through forgiveness. And the only way to forgiveness is through repentance. Okay? The only way to cure guilt is through forgiveness. And the only way to forgiveness is through repentance. Don't hang your head being guilty of your sin. Take it to the Lord. Give it over to him. Turn from it. If I backtrack a little bit here, it says, this is where David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. This is him referring to a ceremonial cleaning. And he's saying, in the ceremonial cleaning, you would clean the outside of your body. This is crazy that in Old Testament, this is before the new covenant, you have someone saying, I need you to cleanse the inside of me. Cleanse my heart. Guys, good things don't do us, don't do anything for us, right? Doing a bunch of good deeds isn't going to help us. It's our heart. It's our heart. And sin is what separates us from the Lord. Are we cleansing our heart? So in the response to our sin is a feeling of guilt or rejoicing. I want us to have rejoicing. Rejoicing. We see David has been called out in his sin. He accepts it, rejoices. Why? Why in the world, whose man just been the most powerful man in the world, has been called out in his sin, starts worshiping? Why? Because we have a God who is merciful. We have a God who loves us so much that when he stooped down and he gathered things up to create this wonderful earth that we're on, this beautiful creation that we get to enjoy, he creates this. He said, you've sinned. You've separated yourself from me with your sin. But guess what? I'm going to come down and I'm going to fix it. When every other religion in this world says, fix yourself, then come to me. God says, no. You can't do it. You'll never be good enough. I am good enough. I'm the only perfect thing. And I'm going to come down here, the very one who created you, and I'm going to save you. I'm the only one who can save you. And that's not a prideful thing, because he can. Not like us when we have pride. And we see when a holy and beautiful God does that, I'm going to listen. And I'm going to do what he asked me to do. And I'm going to follow Psalm 51 where it says, I need to admit my sin. I then need to confess my sin. I then need God to change my heart. I need to ask for supplication, to use a big fancy word. Change my heart, Lord. You're the only one who can do it. Here we are in a society where all we do, as soon as we have this glaring sin issue, maybe a Nathan comes along and tells you, what do we do? Man, I wonder if there's a book on anger I can read. I wonder if there's a podcast or uh, we go to the self-help section. Stop it. We need God. That's the beautiful thing about David. He did not go to any wise sage. He didn't go to any uh, philosopher or anything. He went straight to God. I need you, God. Only you can save me, the most powerful man in the world. And if David needs God, I sure as heck need God.
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You hear that? Only Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me out away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He is more scared of losing the Holy Spirit than he is of what others are saying about him. Here's the hard question I want to ask us tonight. Tonight, this morning. It's, I'm exhausted. This morning. And this is, going to really, this is really going to help you gauge your heart because I had to really had to come to Jesus meeting with myself. If Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you want to go? Right? <laughs> if Jesus wasn't in heaven, would I want to go? Do I want his benefits or do I want him? Right? When I call out to God, do I want him because I don't want him to punish me? Or do I want him because I know that my sin separates me from him and only Jesus can, can bring me there? When I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. We talk about heaven, how glorious it's going to be. It's nothing without him. We see David wants him. That's what? That's why we see, that's where we see this adulterous, murder, sinful, all these things that he is, he yearns for God. When he is publicly confronted of his sin, he accepts it. He then confesses it. He then tells God, I need you to change me. And only you can do it. I need you. I don't need anything else. I need you. So I'm for, this is the next step. I'm forgiven now. Now what, right? I'm forgiven. I've done that. I've gone through the steps. Now what? He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Oh God, oh God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering for you will not delight in sacrifice. I would give it. I just said that. He doesn't want your good deeds. He wants you. The Lord wants you. He wants me. He wants us. He wants our hearts. Let's stir each other on. Let's push each other to love and good deeds. Right? He came and he died on this cross for us so that we could live in community together and push each other towards righteousness. How do we know that David actually lives up to his words here, right? Like this is just a pretty song. There's the consequences to our sin, guys. Even when we sin, we, the death is no longer our consequence for our sin. Jesus paid for that. Um, if I could have Gatlin and Sheridan come up here, please. We're gonna do things a little bit differently, just a little bit. Um, the Lord took his kid. The Lord took David's kid. His kid with Bathsheba, the Lord took it. There's a consequence to sin. He spared David. He had mercy on David. Um, and that's a hard thing to, to go through. It's a hard thing to consider.
But when that happened, when the Lord took his child, do we know what David did? He went straight to the temple, cleansed himself, and he worshiped. When we're aware of our sin, do we cleanse ourselves and do we go to worship? So I've asked um, them to come up here and I want us to have a time of reflection. It's a little bit different than what we're used to here. And just think about it. Maybe there's a Nathan in your life. Maybe you're a Nathan from someone and they're here in this room and you need to talk to them about it. We're gonna take a song, just one song, to take that time to either worship because you've been forgiven of your sin or you can worship because you just confessed your sin. And then John's gonna come up with us and lead us through communion. So let's just take some time, right? Let's take it before the altar of the Lord, the only one who can take it from us.